So let's look at the life of Samson. And I'm just going to begin with a, with a few verses here from chapter 15, verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and strength left him. And She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Can we say amen? amen. So we began the book, or they began this study talking about Ehud, which really, he was really a valiant leader. I mean, he was like a, a Rambo character, right? But we have no bad flaws in his life, at least that are detected in the text. Then we went on from there and talked about Deborah. And Deborah really was an amazing leader. I called her an unlikely leader. Here's this woman giving a prophetic word, directing the armies of the Lord. And it was really, you know, she, she was just awesome. I mean, if the guys wouldn't move, she's going to get them to move. Then we get to Gideon, and we see that Gideon had to have many confirmations of the Lord to do what he was doing, and he was a reluctant leader. But things didn't turn out well after Gideon died. Well, first of all, after he won the battle, he went and slaughtered a bunch of Israelites who didn't fight with him. Then after that, he, he, he created an idol, and after his death, the Israelites were, were ended up worshiping that idol. So it's like, what's, what's going on, bro? I mean, so I didn't notice this before in the book of Judges, but the judges go down in quality. They, they go down in quality. Let, let me just take six, for example. First, you have Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah. They're really, we have no, no problem. They're great. Then you have Jephthah, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Gideon ended up bad, and then Jephthah was kind of like a mafia warlord living up in the caves, and the children of Israel went up and hired him to come defeat the Israelites or defeat their enemies for them. And he was so stupid, he acted like a Canaanite that he vowed to give his daughter's life if he would just win the battle and ended up give, uh, killing his daughter. Then we get to the final judge of all of the book of Judges, and it's Samson. And he's always been a personal hero of mine. Because the Spirit of the Lord came on him several different times. You read that through the text. I'm thinking, yeah, go, man. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know what he looked like, you know. All of the Sunday school pictures have him looking kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But his strength wasn't in his muscles. His strength was in his covenant with God. So I've said this before, but he could have looked like Barney Fife. Wouldn't have that been cool if he walked up like with his one bullet and his shaky gun and he pulled out a jawbone and took care of business? No, I don't know. But Samson's a sad story. As I read it, I thought, oh, gosh, this guy's a creep. 
He's terrible. And he, 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 I'm going to walk through his life here, and it's, it's amazing to read about, really. And then in the end, we began with the end here, really. He, he, he's in Delilah's lap. This lady has wooed him asleep and wooed out of him his secret of his power, and he gives it away. And then he wakes up, and he didn't even recognize that God had left him. He didn't recognize the anointing on his life was gone. And he woke up and he said, well, I'll just do like I've always done. I'll take care of business. And then, boom, he had no strength. So I wanna, I've never preached this before, I don't think, in my entire life. But I'm going to give you four points on how to not lose the anointing on your life. What is the anointing? Well, you know, if, if God is in us, he lives within us, right? If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have this God has come on you in power. But to, to me, this is my, everyone's got a definition of anointing, so I'm going to give you a simple definition of, of anointing to me. And it, it is just God's, it's just the presence that God has placed on your life for the task he's called you to. It's just his tangible presence on your life, okay? And some people have particular anointings, some people are called to do business, and some are called to leadership, and some are called to teach, and some are called to craftsmanship, and some are called uh, as scholars, and I mean, I believe there are a lot of different anointings. I'd never heard one. We had a tent meeting with Ted Shuttlesworth this, this summer, and he called out a, a young gentleman in our church, and he said, have you ever heard of an anointing for sports? And I thought, well, I've never heard of that. And he gave this guy a powerful word just based on the anointing that was on his life to play sports. So I don't know, presence of God on your life that's tangible. How do we keep it? How do we not lose it? Number one, you've got to separate yourself to God. You have to separate yourself to God. When Samson was born, he was born because his mother was barren, an angel of the Lord came and visited her and promised her she was going to have a son. And then said, but the, the, the requirements are, you're to make this child a Nazarite. You're to make him a Nazarite for the rest of his life. Told the father the same thing. The angel gave them a sign, fire coming down and licking up a sacrifice, kind of like Gideon, right? But it was a sign that God was there, God had done this, and God was raising this child up for something special to deliver Israel. But what was a Nazarite? A Nazarite vow in the Old Testament we read about in the book of Numbers, it basically involved three things. Number one, if someone was going to vow to be a Nazarite, they would never cut their hair, never let, never let a razor touch their head. Number two, they would have nothing to do with alcohol. Not only could they not drink alcohol, they weren't to get around anything with grapes in it. I mean, like no raisins, no vines, no, no vineyards, stay away from it all. And then thirdly, they were not to touch anything dead. Now, there's been some debate whether a dead animal was fine and not a dead human, but I don't know. I'm just going with dead things. They had to stay away from dead things, stay away from anything associated with alcohol, and they couldn't cut their hair. So this was the vow that was on his life from the day of his birth onward. And somehow, that was the covenant God had with him. And then, God's reward to him would be the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him, and he would do really miraculous deeds. I mean, if you kill a thousand men with a, with a jawbone of a donkey, I'll not use the King James word. And then, if you, uh, you, you carry out gates of the city that weigh 500 pounds each on your shoulder, you're doing some stuff that's superhuman, bro. 
So he was really anointed to do superhuman actions. But, but, and it's the same in our lives. I mean, sure, we don't have the Nazarite vow with us today in the church, but we are called to God to a separate relationship with him, separate from the world. When God calls you, he first calls you to himself. That's the first calling before you're called to do anything. You're called to be with Him. Remember when Jesus spent all night in prayer and then He called His disciples and He called them one by one and the Bible said, so that they might be with Him and that He might send them out to preach, heal the sick, cast out demons. Before the preaching, heal the sick, cast out demons was the time spent with the Master. So we're, first of all, called to be with Him. And if you want to protect the anointing that's on your life, spend time in His presence. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. Spend time. You're called to Him. Notice that's who you're called to. So my daughters years ago were influenced by a young man in our denomination who's a missions leader. And, uh, you know, all the kids would talk to him, and they all wanted to know, what am I called to do in life? And what's God singling me out for? I mean, we all have those questions But his response first to them was always this. You're always called to Jesus. Let's put the other stuff on the back burner for right now. You're called, first of all, to Jesus. I think we lose sight of that sometimes because we get so busy that we sometimes lose sight of what this is all about. It's about being called to him. Can somebody shout amen? Second thing you need to do to protect the anointing is you need to separate from the unclean things. Sanctification works two ways. There's a positive and a negative pole to it. The positive is you separate yourself and you're sanctified unto God. When God sanctified the, the, the utensils in the tabernacle, they could never again be used for public or common use. They would only be used in the temple. It was sanctified and set apart to him. Then when you're sanctified, you're set apart from the unclean things. Listen what he does in his life. Samson wants to marry a Philistine, a non-Jew. This was forbidden in Old Testament law, right? He goes and he tells his father, says, get her for me, for she pleases me well. I'm like, you brat. It, it comes, I don't know if I'm reading, if it just comes across that way in the English, but it really comes out as he's just being demanding. And, and actually, in the Hebrew, it's very close to chapter 21, verse 25. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. He's actually said, Dad, go get her because she's well-pleasing in my own eyes. Well, that was the way the whole nation was treading. And they were going to do whatever they wanted to do, whatever was happy in their own eyes. And then he goes down and he gets this lady and they go into a marriage uh, agreement. And according to my studies, the marriage agreement would last for seven days. They'd have a wedding feast for seven days. And he goes down and for some crazy reason, he gets all uh, all of the groomsmen were her friends. Maybe this is a clue to how to keep the anointing in your life. Have your own friends that can speak into your life. But he goes down, all I see are her friends, and then he gives them a riddle for some odd reason, and then she woos him and wears him down until he solves the riddle for her, and she whispers and tells the groomsman. So he shows up, the groomsman solve the riddle for him, and he gets upset. So he runs off to another town, and he kills 30 men. 
And he had promised these guys, if they could solve the riddle, linen clothing. They say it was like a cape, kind of. So he went and killed 30 men and stole theirs and brought it to them. When he comes back, the father says, well, I didn't think you were coming back. So I gave her to your best friend. Thanks, Dad. And so he gets super ticked off. And so he ties foxes together, 300 of them, lights them on fire with a candle, and sends them into the Philistine fields, and they destroy all of their livelihood. They get mad, come back and search him out, and find him up, in the, and they come, and the, and the Judahites go and get him out of the mountains, and he comes down, and he says, it's no problem, you can bind me, guys. <laughs> And then he just breaks their ropes, grabs the jawbone of a donkey, and kills a thousand Philistine. Then he goes down to Gaza, and he visits a prostitute. And he shows off his strength in carrying the gates out so they can't lock him in. He carries two arguably 500-pound gates out on his shoulders as he's visiting the prostitute. Then he, met, he goes and falls in love with a woman named Delilah. And her name, some have said, comes from a, a term meaning devotee of a temple. And it's thought that maybe she was a temple cult prostitute of the temple Dagon. Anyway, it goes, she was a pagan. She, he goes down and he falls in love with her. Now, I'm sorry, but this just sounds like a man who's in the wrong places at the wrong time. Yeah, God was accomplishing some things through him, but almost by default or in spite of, he was accomplishing things through them. Because when God calls us, God calls us out of stuff, and he calls us to separate ourselves from stuff so that he can still pour his glory unhindered through us. Because, you know, I could have preached it this way. Do whatever you want. Visit prostitutes, go to a keg party, beat people up out of revenge, and God will still use you, my brother. (laughs) I could have preached it that way, but it wouldn't have done justice to the text. I think God is using him in spite of his wickedness, and it's going to catch up with him at the end of the story. It catches up with him where we began. He loses his life and the anointing on his life. So God, God calls us. When he calls us to him, he really calls us out of the world. I grew up, I got saved in a holiness church at the age of 16. I was radically saved. That's all I've ever known. So just hear me. I'm speaking through that grid. I'm speaking through those lenses. It's still in my bones. It's in my DNA. But when you got saved, you got You got called out of the world you were in. I'm talking the the system of the world, the spirit of the world. God calls you out of that. That means there's places that you used to go, you don't go anymore. It means there's people you used to hang around, you don't hang around anymore. It means there's things you used to do, you don't do anymore. We used to sing a song like that, because the Lord done made a change in me. Places I used to go, I don't go no more. Anyhow, 
It's an old hole in a song. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 6, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord. Then he backs up and says it in 1 Corinthians. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. The term in Greek is pornos. He said, don't keep company with them. He said, yet I didn't mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetousness of the world or the extortioners of the world or the idolaters of the world because you would need to leave the world to do that. You're still going to have to get out and do business and operate among people in society, so you're going to be around a lot of wicked people. But he said, I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, an adulterer, a reviler, a drunkard, or an extortioner. Don't even eat with them. Man, these are strong words, but Paul was making a dividing line between those who call themselves believers and those who do not. I'm not preaching clothesline. I'm not preaching legalism. I'm preaching Bible. There, once you get saved, there's a change made in you, man. The old has passed away. All things have become new. My thinking starts to change. Your thinking starts to change. The things that used to satisfy you don't really satisfy you anymore. The things that used to give you pleasure aren't fun anymore. As one theologian said, God took all the fun out of sin. Well... Come on, say separate, separate. unto God. God, separate from the unclean thing. Third thing you need to do to protect the anointing on your life is spend time in His presence. Not, are you just, not only are you just separated to Him, but then spend the time in His presence. What's interesting about Samson is he only prays two times. The first time is when he's exhausted and he's dying of thirst after he had been fighting the Philistines, and then he prays and God miraculously opens up a water source for him. And then the second time he prays is at his death. The only two times he called on God was when there was a tragedy going on. If you really want to walk close to the Lord and protect the anointing on your life, you got to pray more than just when you get in trouble. It has to be some time spent with the Lord, just talking with the Lord, reading His Word, letting Him get in you, you get in Him, sharing hearts, dialoguing with the Lord, and you spend time in your presence, and that's when He downloads who He is and starts speaking to you and starts changing your mind and changing your heart as you spend time in His presence. I think about the life of Moses. Moses got the downloads when he was on Mount Sinai with God. Moses got the downloads for the community when he was in the tabernacle before the Lord. And you remember those, one of my favorite passages is when uh, Moses goes into the tabernacle and Joshua is sitting outside the tabernacle waiting on him because he was his servant. And then the glory of God would fill the place and Moses would, would hear from the Lord. And then it said Moses would come out and go back to the people, but Joshua would stay there. Just sitting near the glory, just sitting near the presence. No wonder when Moses left this earth, God went and called Joshua to follow. Not only was he a great commander, not only had he mentored under the master, but he was a lover of his presence. Come on, how many lovers of his presence do I have in here? I love his presence. 
I love his presence, folks. That's where I want to be. I was uh, preaching last week down in, in Louisiana, and one night we had glory really hit the altar, and I looked around, and it just hit me. I've been doing this for 36 years, and it's, what I, it's all I want to do. I want to be in his presence more than anything. It's the, it's the, the number one thing is to be in his presence. You say, well, Hans, I've never experienced his presence. I'm going to encourage you. Open the door of your heart and let God come in and fill you with his presence and let him call you into the deep places in him. There's nothing like it. Amen? There's nothing like it. Come on, say it with me. Spend time in his presence. Think about the times Jesus spent with the Father. Jesus, God in flesh, walking on planet earth, why did he need to go recharge with the Father? But he did. He focused on prayer. Many times he went alone and prayed, like in Luke chapter 15. He goes alone and prays to the Father. He spent time alone with the Father before preparing for some kind of major ministry or major task. Think when he went to the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and nights, tempted of the devil, then he came out of that retreat setting, and Luke says he came out in the power of the Spirit. Jesus went alone with the Father to recharge after hard work. Mark chapter 6, he sends the disciples out to do ministry. And when they returned, he encouraged them to separate from the people who were following them just to rest. You know, in Mark Matthew 14, it says he, after he heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, who was his cousin, he went off into a lonely place. To, maybe to deal with all he had just experienced. Then before making important decisions, Luke chapter 6, he goes up on a mountain and he spends all night in prayer before calling the disciples to him. If Jesus had to spend all night in prayer before a major decision, how much more should you and I cut away some time to spend with the Father before we go about our major tasks in life? And then finally, in time of distress, of course he went to the Father. On the Mount of Olives, he went a short distance away from his disciples and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, spending time with the Father. He protected what the Father had given him. He walked with a great and powerful anointing. One of our speakers who was here uh, last October for Breaking Barriers, our conference we have every year, I was eating lunch with him one day, and he said he, said he had had lunch with one of the most famous evangelists America's ever produced. And if I said his name, you'd know him. I'm not going to, though. But he said, I had lunch with this person recently. And he said, we sat down, me and a friend of mine, and, we, and he looked at us and said, would you like to hear how I lost the anointing? And he proceeded to tell them that he would so dedicate his life to God that when he went into these major crusade meetings, God would show up and miracles would happen and people would get saved and crowds would come from driving from everywhere just to be in the presence. He said, the day of the meeting, I let no one near me. Agree with this or not, just listen to it. He said, I'd lock myself in a room. I ironed my own clothes. I cooked my own food. And when I walked on that stage, it had been me and Jesus at least that whole day. Then he said, as, as the ministry grew and time went on. I got busier and I got busier. Spent less time and less time. But miracles were still happening because the people's faith were pulling the miracles. 
And I thought, what, what a sad state, you know. I don't want to have to make that excuse one day in my life. And I love this guy. He impacted my life. And we're not saying he isn't saved. and not saying he isn't filled with the Spirit. But he's talking about the heavy anointing that rested on him for ministry. Final thing. And then we're going to get back to Samson here. Don't let the voice of temptation wear you down. Don't let the voice of temptation wear you down. I could have just jokingly said it this way. Stay away from prostitutes. Particularly cult temple prostitutes. And don't go to keg parties. Because when he goes down to host the party for his fiancée, the word in Hebrew means a drinking event. He went particularly to host a drinking event. Now what's wrong with that? Well, he's a Nazarite! He's not supposed to be near alcohol. Not only that, he walks through a vineyard to get there. What's he doing in a vineyard? Not only that, he kills a lion in the vineyard, comes back and eats honey out of its dead carcass. He's a Nazarite. What's he doing? He's straddling the fence. He's he's trying to... he's, He's... Bad to the bone boy, but with an anointing on his life. Can those two coexist? Yes, for a period of time. This is, this is how I see it. Can God come on you and you live in sin and God still use you? Absolutely. But He's going to call you out. He's going to give you a space to repent. And if you don't repent in that space, then he's going to open it up and everybody's going to see your sin. And it's out of the love of God to call you back to judgment and righteousness. So sometimes when we see, you know, big names, their sin exposed and stuff, we feel so bad and we should feel bad and we should repent for them. But actually, I started seeing it differently in the 80s. It actually is the mercy of God calling those people out so they will get their heart right before they stand before the judgment throne of God. Not even to discuss the open door you've created for all the realm of Satan to come in and rule you. That's another sermon. I'm just talking about can God... So God is using this guy, but his time is running out. So what happens to him? So he comes down and he falls in love with this lady named Delilah. And Delilah is a seducer. The Bible says he loved her. Did she love him? No, she's rotten. She tries four times to coax the secret out of him of his strength. Finally, the Bible says it, it, she wore on him every day. He's an idiot. She was wearing on him every day. But he didn't care. Finally, it got to him. And he said, okay, the the secret of my strength are the locks of my hair because I have a Nazarite vow with God. And if if they're cut, it'll take all my strength away. The Bible said Delilah knew that he had had shared all of of, uh, his heart with her. So she went and called the Philistines. They shaved off the locks of his hair, woke him up, and he thought, oh, I'm, I'm bad to the bone like I always was. And he stood up. And he didn't even know God had already left him. 
and he had no strength. He gave in to this temptation. Then what I hate about Delilah is it says, then she began pestering him and badgering him after he had lost his strength and was taken captive. That's a demonic spirit. That's, that's, that's why Satan works. Satan pulls you into temptation and entices and entices and knocks and knocks and wears on you and wears on you. And then once he gets you, then he turns into the accuser. See, I told you. You're no good. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. Then he becomes the accuser of the brethren. So let me tell you, if you're anointed, you're a target. If you have an anointing on your life, Satan's going to come after you and try to take you out. He's going to come and give it all he has. That's why we can't play with temptation. We can't play with these things. Some things may be calling you from your past. Cut them off now. Just cut it off now and be done with it. Make Set a boundary. Speak the boundary. Act on the boundary. Let your friends know the boundary. You say, man, I don't act this way anymore. It's not what I do anymore. Okay, I had to do that in my life many times. I had to tell old friends sometimes, hey, this is not what I do anymore. I'm trying to get to heaven. I told one of them that. I'm trying to get to heaven, man, so I'm going to set this boundary right here. Then sometimes I'll show up at a place, and maybe they don't know who I am or whatever, and they try to pull me into stuff, and I'll just say, that's just not really what I do. Thank you very much. I'll be nice. You're at work. All the guys trying to pull you into nasty jokes or they're cursing. If you have no backbone about you, you'll suck right into that and just start cursing with them so you look cool. But really, you've just lost all the influence that you've been working for for many years among your peers. What you need to do is just back up and just smile. And you don't have to make a scene, but you just back up and get out of that. I had a, somebody in my church tell me recently, they were at a, at a meeting. And well, why am I going into this? I tell everything up here. They went to a house, and it was some uh, Christian Bible college graduates, and they were drinking. And then some other employees from a certain place came in. They all started cursing. And the person told me, said, it didn't take very long for them to slide down the slope. Don't do that, man. Have some backbone. Don't give in to the way of the world. The world needs and is desperate. To see somebody who's on fire for God. Come on, your family is desperate to see someone sold out for Jesus. You can act like the world. You'll have no influence, no anointing on you, not be able to cast out any demon, not be able to heal any sick. You get sanctified. You get filled with the Holy Ghost. You get separated unto God. And you watch God reward you and move on you and move through your life powerfully. Come on, somebody. I don't care about looking cool. I want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I don't care about being accepted in circles. I want to preach with the fire of God and the anointing in my life. I don't care about getting the uh, praise of men. I want to get on my knees and say a prayer that shakes hell and opens heaven's gates up. Come on, somebody. Shout hallelujah. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be worth it after all. 
It's going to be worth all the trials. It's going to be worth the temptation you faced and overcame. It's going to be worth the words. It's going to be worth the people throwing off on you. It's going to be worth the people not understanding you. It's going to be worth the people looking down at you. It doesn't matter, honey. When we walk through heaven's gates, it's all over. When I see Jesus, it's going to be worth everything. And everything I've been down through here, been been through down here, is just a small thing in comparison with the weight of glory that's awaiting me on the other side oh hallelujah hey somebody shout hallelujah oh hallelujah do people know who you are do they know who you are my grandparents they they helped raise me and they were godly people man and this way my grandpa put it He, he retired and he Moved to a certain town, and and he he, he uh, built a home in this this neighborhood, and and he said, "Well, I'd just be mowing my yard and working with my trees and my bushes." And my neighbors came over to meet me one day, and Grandpa said, "They said, uh, you guys are Christians, aren't you?" He said, "Yes, yes, ma'am, we are." She said, "I knew it. Told my husband you were." This is my grandpa's way of putting it. He said, even your neighbors know you're born again. Even your family knows you're born again. They see you car pull out of the driveway on Sunday morning. They know. There's, people are watching you. They don't see it leave one Sunday. They're like, oh my gosh, they must be sick. Right? They know you don't participate in certain things. They know there's certain things not happening in your house. They know there's certain things not happening in your, on your property. Maybe they feel a little bit convicted when they walk by. My grandpa said, I was backslidden for 20 years, and I used to get up on Sunday morning and ride through town. I felt like a heathen, man. I'd see these churches filled with people, and here I was not right with God. I had to get my heart right with God and get back in the house of God. There's no better living. This clean living is the best living you can do. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah, there's a highway called holiness and no unclean thing shall enter therein. He said, fear the Lord and serve Him. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. There's a highway, Isaiah said, called... Come on, Bible scholars. There's a highway called holiness, he saw. There's a day, read read Isaiah 2, when all the nations will come back to Jerusalem and worship and learn the law of the Lord, not compromise. Oh, hallelujah. So what happens? What happens at the end? At the end, I got up at 5 a.m. this morning and read this. And I've been ticked off at Samson all week long. (laughs) Since Monday. I'm like, you idiot. But I got up this morning and I saw something totally different and I started crying. So they bind him after Delilah deceived him. And they take him to the Philistine camp and they put him grinding at a mill like a mule. And he must have spent months, if not years, at that mill. Because the Bible says his hair started growing back out. And the Philistines weren't smart enough to realize, or they didn't remember, that was the secret to this guy. And here's the, here's the kicker in this whole story. Though he was unfaithful, God was always faithful. Amen. 
though he wasn't fulfilling the covenant, God had never wavered from the covenant. Though he was compromising, God was not compromising. Though he was loving strange women, God was loving him. So what happened? One day they said, bring Samson out. We're having a huge feast. And bring him out and let's make fun of Israel's champion. So they, they bring him out and they had plucked out his eyes. And so he's blind and, and he comes out and grinding at the meal and they're having a big time and they're making fun of him. And, and then he backs up and he asks the servant boy next to him, he said, could you place my hands against the pillars just so I could rest? And he places his hands against the pillars and he prays and it broke my heart. He prayed and he prayed this, remember me, oh God. And I saw it differently. I know that remember me is a, maybe a votive type prayer, but I heard it this way this morning. God, do you remember me? I'm the man of great expectations. I'm the man who was going to start off and be your man. I'm the guy that you had set apart from birth to serve you. I'm the one you came down and visited my mom and dad and dedicated me to you. You remember me? If you do, could you do it just one more time? Maybe I'm reading too much in the text, but I see his redemption right here. I met a lady at the door after the 9 o'clock service, and she came and was telling me how much the sermon had meant to her. And she said, Hans, there's a little bit of Samson in all of us. That we fight that temptation, but God calls us back. And the lady said this too. She said, and in the last five minutes of his life, he made it count and accomplished more than he did in his entire life. So some of y'all been thinking, I've been running from God and I've made a mess in my life and I tried to serve the Lord and didn't work. And I'm out and in and out and in. You're like a jumping bean. God says, now's time to get serious and make these last years of your life greater than all the former because he can do it. Come on, somebody. He can do it. Make these last five minutes the best. And then he prays that prayer. Do it just one more time, God. And he pushes and the pillars come down. And the Bible said he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his entire life. Protect the anointing on your life so you don't get to that point. But I'm telling you, if you're at that point, my God's still a God of a second chance. He's a God of a second chance. He calls you back. He called Peter back after he denied him and brought him back. After he wept bitterly, Jesus shows up in Mark chapter 16 and tells the ladies who saw him resurrected, said, tell my disciples and Peter... That I've risen from the dead. Why? Because he needs to hear it more this day than the rest of you do. And some maybe you're in here because God brought you here to hear this message today. It's not too late. You're not finished yet. You still have breath in your body. You still have strength in you. Use every lasting minute you have for the Lord. Come on, put your hands together. Hallelujah. 
Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to live in an era where we can come to you on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin. And I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone. And I thank you that my life has changed. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. And I hope to see you again.